I kind of worry about all these people walking around going, oh my God, like I'm going to die. I can't fly. I can't do anything. Right. When the reality is that you're infected with all sorts of stuff you don't know about right now and you're walking around just fine. Yeah. But how do you build systemic resilience? And I didn't understand the connection until you explained it right now between different species of gut bacteria and your ability to resist a viral infection because the gut bacteria is signaling to the body, hey, watch out, that one's infected. That's that's really cool knowledge. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day, well, it's about honeybees, specifically engineering gut bacteria in honeybees. And now you're asking yourself, Dave, what the heck are you talking about? Well, new research that came out in Science Magazine shows that we can actually engineer gut microbes to protect honeybees from all the bad stuff happening to them. They made microbes that lure predators like viruses and these mites that suck fat into destroying themselves and thus protecting the honeybees. And this is a bacteria called, get this, Snodgrassella bacteria. That name is why I had to do this cool fact today, by the way. Like, I want to call someone a Snodgrassella sometime and see if they punch me or not. Anyway, it's common in bee guts, rod-shaped. And those molecules are proactive in fighting the tenacity of the gene activity of, of a virus or a mite, which is super crazy because you wouldn't really think about RNA interference from a gut bacteria, much less one that we actually design versus one from nature. And in this research, we were just looking for ways to fight the varroa mite, which is decimating wild honeybee populations and wild non-honeybee populations, and it's spread by commercial uh, beekeeping. I would just like to point out that if you believe that eating a plant-based diet is protecting the planet, you are killing wild honeybees everywhere with your insistence on plants. You should be eating animals. Come on here. Okay. Sorry, side effect. Just saying it's a complex world out there and we've got to manage our environment carefully so that the environment itself is healthy just like we are healthy and uh, we've got to pay attention to all parts of the system. Anyway, what they found is if they gave this custom-made, called a probiotic for bees, uh, to the bees, mites were 70% more likely to die within 10 days when they ate bees that engineered or that had engineered gut microbes and bees that had the protective bacteria were 37% higher in survival rate after being exposed to the deformed wing virus. These are massive improvement numbers. So what do you know? Do you think in your future you might have custom-made probiotics that make you more resilient to things like that? Uh, you guys want a really bad joke? <laughs> what goes best with coronavirus? What? Lyme disease. (laughs) Too soon? Too soon? (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) Never too soon, in my opinion. I can't believe I just said that. I'm a a bad person, I got to say. Now, if you're asking yourself, what the heck? Bees, honey, vegans, what the heck is Dave going to talk about? None of the above, I tricked you. And probiotics, if you guessed that, all right, that was a pretty good one. Although maybe that was kind of easy. We are going to talk not just about probiotics, but specifically about some very interesting research that's coming out about the microbiome and about certain types of probiotics that form spores. And the guests today were catalysts for my favorite Bulletproof Radio podcast title ever. Check this out, Armor-Plated Immortal Probiotics from Space. 
<laughs> that was episode number 629. And these are guests from Just Thrive Health, Tina Anderson and Kieran Krishnan. Uh, guys, welcome to the show. Thank Thanks, you. Dave. Or, Thank you for having excited us. Excited to be yeah. here. Uh, more accurately, welcome back to the show. Now, Just Thrive makes a, as you might have guessed, an armor-plated <laughs> immortal <laughs> probiotic, one that you can actually bake in the oven that still will grow in your gut, which is really cool. Uh, I was blown away by some of the research in the first one. So I asked them to come back on the show today to talk about new research and new developments in the field. And I think you guys are going to be blown away when you hear some of the stuff we, we're going to talk about, which go far beyond just what's going on in your gut, but into the world around you. Now, Tina, if people haven't heard the first one, you're a former attorney and you said, you know, I'm going to move into natural health and make a probiotic company. And Kieran, you're a research microbiologist and you know a lot about commensal spore bacteria. So we kind of have the business change the world perspective and then the... And the super nerd. Yeah. Super nerd. <laughs> right. you, you can tell by how they're dressed if you're watching on YouTube, right? Nerd. Yeah. Former attorney, entrepreneur, yeah. uh, and, but someone who cares a lot. Okay. So Tina... You got started because of a prescription drug problem. Walk listeners through what happened and just what made you decide to stop being an attorney and start being a gut bacteria hacker. Right. Well, I was in the pharmaceutical industry with my husband, and we saw a lot of the abuses going on in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, one pr like specific example was um, we had won a big bid for um, a cholesterol drug at one of the largest hospital systems in the country. And the drug rep came into our office and he's high-fiving my husband like, this is great. We just won this huge bid. Now my job is to go to every doctor in this hospital system and lower the number that they prescribe cholesterol meds. And we were like, you're kidding me. You know, a part of us was shocked. And then another part of us started thinking, we see this with our relatives. You know, we had an aunt who was on one prescription. And then the next thing you know, she was on 12 different medications and not getting better. You know, one prescription caused one issue. And then, you know, one, she took something for stomach issues. And then she has joint pain. And then she's got skin issues. And so, you know, and nobody seems to get better. And we were like, we are not doing our life's work. We just weren't doing our life's work. And so we left our, you know, roles in the pharmaceutical industry in a very successful pharmaceutical business. And um, in order to do something that really meant something to us and to really bring health and wellness to the world out there. Did the pharmaceutical industry put a hit out on you? <laughs> no, they have not yet. <laughs> she's very elusive. Notice though. I, might don't, be, I don't mention geez. the name of the, you know. I, I noticed the uncomfortable bulge on your <laughs> right. right there. Uh, no. uh, now, uh, but in, in, in more seriousness, uh, when people move from big pharma over to the supplement or the more natural side of things, it is seen as a competitive threat. And, and there's a long history of big pharma buying nutraceutical companies just to shut them down because it, it competes with things. Um, I mean, did did you get a lot of you know negative? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a lot of shade from the pharmaceutical business when you went over to the dark side? Um, you know, not really. Um, I, I we really didn't see that much of a um, impact from it. Yeah, we just kind of okay. left, and you know, people didn't like block your number from their phone. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, like no. chain smoking in a van outside your house. <laughs> no, not nothing. yet. I mean, okay. I shouldn't say no, not yet. You give yourself time. Yes, become right. More successful with just drive, and they're like these these darn probiotics. They're they're taking away our market share. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, so that was how you got into it, and and we we uh, uh, we've all seen differences and from changing gut bacteria. I think anyone who's listening to the show who's just played around with prebiotics, probiotics, 
And we're recording this live together here at the 40 Years of Zen uh, facility up in uh, up in Seattle, where I do neurofeedback. This is a company I started a, a while ago, and it's fascinating. So I'm sitting down. We have uh, five people going through the training this week, and I mentioned to them this morning we're having um, bulletproof coffee, uh, and I said, "Hey, I'm doing a podcast with the folks from Just Thrive," and one of the ladies there goes. Oh my God, tell them I love them. And, oh my God, that's awesome. And, and I go, that's why? What happened? She said, I heard the first episode with him and I tried the Just Thrive prebiotic or probiotic uh, on my daughter who has eczema. And she she says, it was funny because it happened in five minutes. I told you right now. Right. Yeah. And, and she goes, we've been to every doctor. We had all these steroid creams and they just told she'll be on creams forever. And that when she started taking the Just Thrive probiotic that the eczema went away. Wow. And she said they fixed her and nothing else would work. And so she's like this relatively inexpensive bottle of, of probiotics replaced what all the doctors couldn't do. Wow. And so that must feel good because that's well, the sort now of you stuff. Know, yeah, yeah, now you know why we love the pharmaceutical yeah. industry. I mean, it's like this is why we do it. These stories never get old and we get so many incredible stories like this all the time. Well, I'm, I'm hoping I can get her to step out of brain training and come oh, in and say hi to you guys because she That'd wants to be say awesome. thanks. That yeah. would be so Sounds awesome. awesome. All right. well, it's my favorite part we of do doing what we do. What, right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, I, was, I was really stoked. That's why I do what I do too because yeah. yeah. it was one episode and I know hundreds of thousands of people hear each episode, but um, just to know that it had an impact like that, I felt happy. I thought you'd, you'd appreciate oh, yes. that. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Now, Kieran, I know what probiotics are, at least I think I do. But can you define what is and isn't a probiotic? Because I feel like, well, I got this good stuff growing in my gut because I fed it, but I didn't take a probiotic. So how do you how do you put a box around the word probiotic? What does it really yeah. mean? So the the definition has changed quite a bit over the last few decades, right? So the very first time the word probiotic was used was by two researchers called Lillian Stilwell in the 1960s. Since then, it's evolved. The World Health Organization calls a probiotic a, a live beneficial microorganism when administered in adequate doses confers a health benefit to the host. So there's a Key few key things when there. When administered, but if it's naturally occurring, not administered, it's not a probiotic. Then it's not. So it, it's supposed to be used as a therapeutic agent, um, and it's supposed to be live. So that's a really important part. That's the first part of the definition. And then when they say ad administered in adequate amounts has to confer health benefit to the host, meaning there's a there's a dosing impact on that probiotic, and so. They they really think about probiotics as a therapeutic agent. That seems broken on its face because mm -hmm. they can grow. They can grow, it, right. It's sort of like if you put a couple bad <laughs> E. coli strains or salmonella strains in your gut, it's not like you have to dose with enough of them because they replicate quickly. Yeah. Don't probiotics do the same thing in the gut? It depends on the probiotic. So that's uh, that's a big part of it. So if you think about the gut – you know, we've got 100 trillion bacteria sitting in there, right? Every square millimeter of real estate is taken up. So if someone new comes in, they don't have a spot to sit or live and form a colony. They have to fight somebody else out of that real estate to be able to do that. That's one of the reasons why the vast majority of what we call probiotics today just kind of pass right through. You know, they can't okay. compete with the residents. Are, are they really fighting or are they cooperating? Like, it's like when you make yogurt or kombucha, yeah. there's multiple species in there, but I don't think they're in the kombucha like, I'm going <laughs> to take you down and then no one's going to take you down. It seems like like there's an interspecies cooperation, kind of like humans and dogs, but yeah. no one likes cats anyway. So we right. just take those yeah, out. Humans and dogs and hamsters yeah. or something. Yeah, right. it, is it more like, is it cooperative or is it really a fight? So, so it's a cooperative fight. 
actually. Okay. Um, it's it's an interesting <laughs> they're thing. Frenemies. So, they're right. frenemies. They totally okay. are. So um, what's really interesting about microbial ecosystems, including our gut and everywhere else you see microbes, is the amount of, of com- competition that exists in that ecosystem, which can be measured through a number of okay. proteins that are produced. We call that the resistome of the, of the ecosystem, if you will. So how much resistance and, and competition the bacteria have with one another uh, denotes the stability of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So the higher the competition, the more they fight in a way, the more stable the ecosystem is. Because the tendency is for groups of bacteria to just kind of take over and, mm-hmm. and, and bring down the rest and eliminate the rest to some degree. That would throw off the balance of the ecosystem and it would cause a problem. So the more they're kind of fighting and resisting one another, the more balance and stability there is in the ecosystem. That's what's happening in the gut all the time. Now, they also inevitably support one another because bacteria are amazing evolutionary machines, right? Um, every 12, 13 hours, they can change their genotype in a way to, to adapt to the environment. So what happens is bacteria A comes in and bacteria A is really good at breaking down a certain uh, substrate and then they produce a metabolite as a result of that. Bacteria B can start to adapt to feed off of that metabolite. So then they start creating these uh, commensalism, if you will, where one bacteria's waste feeds the other, and then that bacteria's waste feeds another, and so on. So they do cooperate, but they compete a lot. So they are frenemies is a great way of uh, putting it. Okay. So there's that constant sort of pushing thing. Yeah. So what are the most common strains of probiotics? And we've all heard of yogurt. Right, but yeah. what what are the common ones that that people may may have heard of, or things that you think are relevant? Yeah. and then I want to go into some of the the special strains that the you work with. Ones. Yeah, the vast majority of probiotics are made up of Lactobacillus, which is a genus, and then the species is a whole bunch of them: Acidophilus, Ruderi, Rhamnosus, and so on. And then we have Bifidobacteria as well. Um, if you go to if you talk to Walgreens or CVS, their number one selling probiotic they sell hundreds of thousands of bottles um, a month is Lactobacillus acidophilus, just a plain $7 probiotic where they just throw this one bacteria in there and they move a lot of it. Does it it actually work to just take one like that? Yeah, and that's the big question. Uh, There's there's really no studies on that one generic version of Lactobacillus acidophilus having any impact. You know, and, and often it may be people, dead, right? And it may be dead in the bottle yeah. itself. More than likely it is. For seven bucks probably. <laughs> right. You know, and <laughs> you and, can't and, nitrogen flush for seven dollars, I know. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's you know, the cheapest bottle, the cheapest yeah. capsule you can absolutely find. Um and, and more and more what we're coming to understand about probiotics is you know, if you imagine these bacteria, they're therapeutic agents, right? Um, they themselves are minuscule in concentration to what we're putting into this ecosystem. So even if you have something that's 100 billion CFUs, and people have seen these it's numbers. Colony-forming units, you know, yep. basically the number of little clusters. Little bacteria yeah. cells, right, that are going in. It sounds like a lot, but then you're putting it into a sea of 100 trillion bacteria. It's a drop of spit in the ocean. Totally. Tiny drop of spit, right? And so the question is, can that 100 billion, with whatever capabilities they have, actually create a change in the system? More and more we're seeing that is less impactful than sending in microbes that can actually change the sea, that can make a change in the 100 trillion that are there. So that's where probiotics are really going to change things. And that's where the, the bee example comes into picture. 
I, I spent at least a hundred thousand dollars on probiotics. <laughs> right. I, I'm not joking. Like that's yeah. a real number. Um, because I had really serious gut problems since I was a kid. I was on antibiotics every month for about 15 years. I lived in a basement that had toxic mold. We didn't know that. So I was constantly getting strep throat. Then they finally pulled my tonsils out and I had my first sinus infection. Then I had constant sinus infection. So my gut bacteria was just trashed. And by virtue of that, aside from obesity and stuff like that, room clearing gas. I was like, I always made sure my dog was around. So I, I could blame the dog. I'm like, oh, Bad dog. Bad, bad dog. dog. Like, Yet another benefit of yeah. having a dog. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was, uh, yeah, that, by the way, if, if you suffer from bad gas, my number one piece of advice is get a dog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, it, it was a, a major issue. So I would take all the stuff, and sometimes you spend you know, 200 bucks on some special thing, mm-hmm. and I never saw that big of a difference. Um, but in the last few years, I, I feel like probiotics have shifted and also just understanding that for me, I had to eat enough fiber in the form mm-hmm. of vegetables. Now I actually take prebiotics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that that has made a meaningful shift, but that I had to, I had to take the right probiotic yeah. that could, that could you know, light the spark, but there had to be fuel for them to eat. Yeah. And that combination was there. So the lactobacillus from $7 capsules, I, I never felt anything. Yep. Others, I felt like I would maybe see a little difference, but only if I was taking a lot of them continuously. Yep. Right? They, wouldn't, they wouldn't sort of move in and make a change. Um, but then I have been taking the Just Thrive, right? and I, I'm a fan of the, the spore formers. Um, tell me about the strain that you guys commercialize, the Dr. Simon Cutting stuff, mm-hmm. and why that strain, why is it different? Oh, um, so it's a spore-based probiotic, like okay. you had mentioned. And so the spores actually, um, they create this endospore shell around themselves, like an armor-like shell. And that allows them to get through the gastric system 100% alive. And then once they get to the intestines, that's when they take their shell off and they go into their live vegetative cell state. So we know that we need a live microorganism. Right. And so people think, oh, it needs to be alive in the refrigerator, well, no, it needs to be alive when it hits your intestines. And a lot of times when it's alive in the refrigerator, it actually means it can't even withstand the room temperature of the store shelf. So then how would it ever survive your body temperature, which is 98.6? So the spore-based probiotics actually are dormant when they're in the bottle and they're dormant when you swallow them and they go through the gastric system. And it's not till they hit the intestines that they take their shell off and go alive, become alive organisms and then they go and read the microbial environment and are actually they stay there for about 21 to 28 days they stay in the gut they stay Mm -hmm. in the gut yeah okay and and to add to what tina said what really fascinated us about spores to begin with is that they've been used in the prescription drug industry since 1952 in europe and latin america as a way of treating gut infections so they have this specificity to be able to go in do something called quorum sensing, so reading the microbial uh, environment. So every bacteria spits out a chemical signature. They can read those signatures. They have it in their genetics to identify microbes in our gut that are potential problems. So they'll find the dysentery-causing microbes. They'll find the um, microbes that are causing you the diarrhea and the infections. They'll sit next to them, and then they will produce antibiotics in that little microenvironment to kill off those bacteria. They've been used 
in that way as a prescription product since 1952. And so our thinking was, okay, if they You're have- spore farmers have been? Spore farmers, yeah. Uh, Sanofi Aventis, ma- major pharma company, launched um, the spore former drug uh, called, um, there was two, there's Bactisubtil and Entrogermina, which is still on the market today. Wow. Both used to treat gut infections in, instead of antibiotics. And it's precision um, antimicrobial activity because it doesn't, harm any of the other good bacteria, it's only targeting the bad bacteria. Interesting. And spores can do that. So then our thinking was, if it can find and and bring down the growth of bad bacteria, can it improve the growth of good bacteria? That was our hypothesis into which we jumped knee-deep into the spores. And sure enough that we've seen that it can. You said something fascinating there about quorum sensing. Yeah. And I'm going to go on a little rant about quorum sensing uh, for a second here. If you've listened to Bulletproof Radio for a while, you probably heard the interview with Lehman Baird. He's a Carnegie Mellon computer science professor uh, who invented uh, Hashgraph, which is one of the ways we can detect a quorum on uh, Bitcoin and yeah. <laughs> essentially on any of the any of the crypto uh, platforms. So, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? It turns out mitochondrial quorum sensing is a massive thing. Mm-hmm. And all this is is democracy in action. Yeah. And it's it says, okay, if people are voting, how are they voting? So what what do we believe? What's the environment? How do we sense the environment around us? And how do we know what's happening and what to do next? And the algorithm for quorum sensing that bacteria use is almost certainly the same as the one uh, that our mitochondria use. Mm -hmm. And we understand how they send signals. But I think Lehman, in his work on crypto, actually figured out the algorithm that we use within our gut bacteria and within our our onboard bacteria, the mitochondria, which is that if you have only a third of a of of what's going on you can determine essentially what's what people are voting for or not voting for right so this idea of quorum sensing is it's incredibly important for systems biology and almost no one talks about it right right so the the idea is how do i know the world around me how do i know what my peers want mm-hmm. and how do i know how i fit best into my community right uh, in in the the bulletproof teachings you know in, in from my my work on mitochondria i have these four f words and mm-hmm. you guys know the the four f words I, I'll, uh, I'll go through them real quick for listeners who haven't heard me on this before. Um, the first one is fear. So any life form, whether you're a bacteria in the gut, to your point about how they behave in the gut, or a zebra or a human or a jellyfish, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Number one, run away from, kill, or hide from scary things. That's yeah. fear, right? And this is also why we're at 40 years of zen because right. our fear <laughs> our fear recognizes – our ability to recognize things that are actually going to kill us versus things that we think will kill us isn't very good as humans. Yeah. So you have to go through and reset your fear triggers. Okay, so that's fear. Second one is food, right? Because bacteria have all died mm-hmm. uh, from a lack of food and humans in, in our history, there's been famines and every animal does that. So we think about what's going to kill us now. We think about what's for lunch. Mm-hmm. It's very normal. And this is also why bacteria will grow as long as there's as much food because mm-hmm. you know there might not be food tomorrow. And then the third thing is, uh, how do I reproduce? That's the third F word, mm-hmm. right? And then the fourth F word is friend. Yeah. And by the way, the, the third F word was fertility. I don't know what you guys were thinking. <laughs> well, Tina was the only one giggling. Yeah, Tina, so we know what, what she were was you thinking, thinking, Tina? Oh, are, are you blushing, Tina? Oh, my goodness. I'm shocked and offended. Actually, I'm not shocked. I'm just offended. <laughs> 
<laughs> no. Uh, and then the fourth F word is friend, yeah. right? And that's where quorum sensing comes in. Yeah. You're saying, oh, how do I work not just with my own species, but how do I work with other species, right? So in the context of being human, okay, how do we work with our agricultural species of plants that we work with? How do we work with agriculture animals and companion animals and other humans and things that we haven't thought of like bees mm-hmm. or dragonflies or whatever else? Like, how do we interact with the world around us if our quorum sensing is good then we're going to be a part of the environment. If our quorum sensing is bad, then we're going to do crappy things like dump plastic in the ocean, put glyphosate all over our soil, destroy the soil, which is the microbiome of the planet that <laughs> yeah. reflects on. But like we, it's because yeah. we're bad at sensing threats in our environment and we're yeah. bad at sensing other life. So that's that's my little mini lecture on quorum sensing, right. but how, how awesome it is that you bring that up yeah. in the gut context. Yeah. So I had, a, I had the, the Just Thrive, the Dr. Simon cutting um, his his strain, the one that you guys work with, yep. I add it to my gut bacteria. What happens with quorum sensing? I mean, yep. is it going to raise his hand and be like, my vote's bigger than yours? Like, yeah. give, me, give me some biology here. So so what's super interesting about this, and we published a paper on this um, in August of last year. What we're finding out is um, the diversity in the microbiome, which is measured by the richness, meaning how many different microbes there are, and then the uniformity within the microbiome as well, because again, we want a balanced ecosystem, right? Um, What we're finding is when you add the spores into the system, the diversity increases by about 30 to 40%. So you add one species and Mm -hmm. many other species will pop up as a result of that. Yeah, which is insane when you think about it, right? And and some of these... Doesn't that make the Just Thrive... It's not really just a probiotic, because if it's feeding other ones, it makes it a prebiotic and a probiotic, even though you don't have traditional fiber in it. Exactly. And a postbiotic as well because it also produces a number of critical compounds that then support the rest of the microbiome. Okay. So it in a way is called a keystone strain, right? So keystone strains or keystone species in an ecosystem are ones that bring balance to the ecosystem and and really kind of facilitate this stability within the ecosystem. Okay. And when you hurt the keystone species or the apex predator, as we would call it in, in some um, ecological terms, the whole thing kind of falls apart. What's so interesting about it is we don't have a way to do this ourselves. Right? We don't have an endogenous way of bringing about balance in our microbiome. Our immune system can't go through our microbiome and go, these guys are overgrown, these guys are undergrown, let's bring back balance. We've outsourced this this service okay. to microbes that are in our environment, like these spores. That was one of the things that was so fascinating to us about it is we also know then the type of change that they create actually has a huge impact on overall health. Um, what happens so in Superhuman, my yeah. anti-aging book, I wrote about some bizarre strains um, of, of bacteria. Um, one that I started taking, uh, it makes a spermidine. Mm. And yeah. spermidine comes from, at least it was discovered in exactly what you think it was discovered in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this is the reason that people say that um, semen has anti-aging properties um, right. on topically. <laughs> <laughs> it actually it's, does. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, worth a try, for sure. <laughs> it's worth a try. I didn't say that. <laughs> Guys, I apologize for my guest's <laughs> lack of taste. Uh, I, it's I mean, a science experiment. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, uh, and, and in terms of an oral dose, I'm like, I'm not going there. Yeah. Uh, but there is a bacteria that makes it. Um, and it's it's only found in Japan, and the label isn't in English, but I'm like, hey, I'm weird. I order stuff. So um, if I do something like that, uh, and, and you know, very function-specific probiotics, but I've used Just Thrive to sort of condition the, the level of diversity, yeah. will it allow other probiotics 
to survive better if I have just thrive as a keystone species? I've never yeah. thought about this before, but it's an interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Because because we're bringing about balance and mm-hmm. this like really healthy competitive forces within the microbiome, it gives every species that's coming in that could be beneficial a chance. So, so you're to... a you're a probiotic enabler. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. I like wow. that. It, I like and, that. And, and, okay. You know, it, it also translates then to things like fermented foods and other foods that you might okay. eat. It, because you, you end up with more diversity, you actually end up with the ability to assimilate and, and um, you know, uh, take in more nutrients from all the various foods that you consume. Okay. Uh, that, that makes so much sense. Uh, talk to me about what probiotics do for uh, virus viruses in the human body. Yeah, um, so that's a you know there's the virome in the human body, mm-hmm. which is of course your microbiota, if you will, for the viruses. Um, there are lots of latent viruses in most of us. Uh, we've most of us have been exposed to Epstein Barr, Cytomegalovirus, Herpes simplex, uh, Papilloma virus. Most of them have them all over our body. Most of us do. Um, Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Even in our cerebral <laughs> it, spinal fluid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? if, in fact, there were, there was a couple of studies that looked at um, the, the population of microbes in the cerebral spinal fluid, and it's loaded with herpes and papillomavirus in most people. Isn't it crazy know? we think it's all sterile? Yeah, but it's yeah. Nothing not. is sterile in the body. Nothing, yeah. right? Um, what's so interesting about bacteria and viruses, of course, is there's competition, then there's the whole phage area where these are viruses specific for bacteria. But viruses are unique in that they don't have any replication capability of themselves, so they kind of hijack our cellular mechanism to replicate themselves. Um, bacteria support our immune system in helping detect viruses. So they they provide clues to our immune system to 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 figure out how to detect not only a virus but a cell that's now infected by a virus because imagine our immune system comes across a immune cell or tissue cell that's now infected with a virus but on the outside of the cell it looks like our own normal immune uh, our own tissue so it can't really detect that that cell has been infected we've got bacteria like one of the things that the spores do is they will flag Micros, our own cells that are infected with viruses so that our immune system can recognize so, them. So the the Just Thrive spore-forming species, and I don't remember its name. It's in my notes here. Um, yeah, the bacillus. It, the bacillus it, endospores. It, so, yeah. Okay, bacillus endospores, but the spore-forming because they're endospores. Yeah. Okay. So how do they tag an infected, like a virus-infected cell? Yeah. What's the mechanism? There? So that's interesting. That's, there's something called pattern recognition receptors in the in the uh, immune system. Okay. Um, and these are patterns of virus coats of bacterial cell walls that our immune system is supposed to learn over time and start to recognize. The white blood cells do that, basically. Exactly. They okay. do that. Now, the upregulation of these receptors, these pattern recognition receptors, are done by the commensal bacteria. And certain microbes within the commensal bacteria do a much better job of kind of alerting and upregulating these pattern recognition receptors so your immune system sees it more visibly. So one of the things that the spores do in the system all the time when they're in there is they continuously upregulate these pattern recognition receptors so that if there's any minute change on the outside of our cell, there's a remainder of a viral coat, for example, uh, on the outside cell from the virus going in, then your immune system has a better chance of seeing it. So they're alerting their immune system much better. Got it. Um, I'm I'm really interested though, uh, because if, if that's the case, if someone is has a healthy balance of gut bacteria, or let's say they're taking the spore formers that yeah. are better at this, are they less likely to get a viral infection? Yeah, I mean, um, 
the vast majority of people can be protected by most viral infections. Of course, outside of really severe things like Ebola, you know, but we know influenza goes, we're still in the flu season right now. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us can get exposed to those viruses and never show symptoms, right? In fact, a big British Journal of Medicine study showed that the vast majority of people do get the flu and never show symptoms, <laughs> right? And <laughs> so people are wigging out like we're destroying the economy right now right. over coronavirus. And the vast majority of people have no symptoms or very mild symptoms. So throughout all of human history, these have been blowing through our populations all the time. We just didn't know about them, so we didn't freak out. Exactly. And then, you know, a a small percentage of people who probably have imbalanced gut bacteria who do not have biological resilience. In other words, they were the sick people Mm -hmm. um, already. They were walking sick. They're much more likely to get pneumonia, and then the pneumonia may, may kill them. Um, but I, I, I kind of worry about all these the people walking around going, oh, my God, like, I'm going to die. I can't fly. I can't do anything. Right. When the reality is that you're infected with all sorts of stuff you don't know about right now and you're all walking around just fine. Yeah. But how do you build systemic resilience? Yeah. And I didn't understand the connection until you explained it right now between different species of gut bacteria and your ability to resist a viral infection because the gut bacteria is signaling to the body, hey, watch out, that one's infected. That's that's really cool knowledge. I I mean, I'm very well read. I haven't come across that. Explain that way, Karen. So thank you. Yeah, and there's some. So there are some species of bacteria that act as antigen-presenting cells, which is really, in effect, um, a bona fide immune cell in your system. So you've got bacteria in your system, which the spores are are some of those types of bacteria that can actually present to your immune system um, antigens from viruses and other bacteria to teach the immune system what they should be looking for. Then there's a second connection there. One of the other um, aspects of are using uh, probiotics in our gut bacteria to protect us from viral infections, for example, is our macrophages and dendritic cells, right? They are kind of our immune soldiers that are circulating all throughout our body, looking for problematic things or in our nose, our brain, everywhere. Um, and they are fed by butyrate, by short-chain fatty acids. And if mm-hmm. we don't have adequate butyrate production in our gut, we actually are are um, hindering the development of these really important immune circulators. Now, butyrate is something that's been fascinating to me forever. It was part of my journey of fixing my own gut. And I found a couple studies that I published in the Bulletproof Diet that said eating butyric acid or butyrate, i.e. butter, it's actually named that after mm-hmm. butter because that's where they discovered it. Um, that it does anti-inflammatory things in the brain and in the upper gut and then producing it with healthy bacteria, which come from having the right balance and feeding the bacteria fiber from vegetables or prebiotic fibers and things, um, that that had a different positive effect. Have you looked into the difference between eating basically fermented dairy, which would get butyric acid or a little bit from uh, grass-fed animal fat, between eating it as a prebiotic, as a way to get it in at the top of the tract versus just onboard production? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the the most common way we find butyric acid in our system is from the fermentation that occurs in the large intestine. Right. Um, and so that there's all these transport mechanisms for that butyric acid because it, the body knows it's being produced way down in the colon. We need to get it into other parts of the body, into the liver, the pancreas, the kidneys, the brain, and so on. And then also the, but- the butyrate is, um, is uh, hones into the fat uh, that's stored around the midsection from that large intestine. Because one of the really important things it does in the fat is that it triggers fat cells to upregulate something called cyclic AMP, which then drives fat burning throughout the body. So Guess what really, else does that? 
coffee. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good combination to have the two, right? It, yeah. it, it, it's interesting, too, uh, that butyric acid is highly ketogenic. Mm-hmm. So caprylic acid, i.e. brain octane, yeah. is very ketogenic, and butyric acid isn't quite as ketogenic as that, but it, it's that way. And caffeine is also ketogenic. Yeah. So the idea is, wait a minute, I put butyric acid in there. You know, I have the healthy gut bacteria balance that raises uh, my ability to make onboard butyric acid, yeah. and all of a sudden, like you got a little boost of ketones there. Yeah. Uh, but the cyclic amp thing gives you more energy, right? It does, yeah. Okay. Um, and what's interesting about the caprylic acid side of it is, so then the cyclic AMP signal that's turned on by the presence of butyric acid will will actually prime your cells to go, hey, start burning fat for fuel instead of sugar. Okay. Caprylic acid then tells your cells start absorbing more fat. So mm-hmm. it it's actually helps the transportation of fat into the cell and then the signal for burning the fat is there as well from the butyric acid. So the combination is really quite powerful. Okay. To translate this into something we could do uh, as if someone listening to the show. All right. To get more butyric acid, you want a diversity of species. So I'm going to say the Just Thrive spore forming supply. Actually, I take it um, after that you know, immortal armor-plated stuff. How can I not? <laughs> right? uh, so there's that. There's prebiotic fiber. Uh, which we know can turn into butyric acid. Yep. Most people don't know this, but there are species of bacteria that convert collagen into butyric acid. Mm-hmm. So even if you're on the carnivore diet, and James Saldino was on a while ago talking about that, yep. um, you still can do that. Yep. In fact, they discovered that species in cheetahs, yep. uh, which is kind of cool. <laughs> that, that Who would have thought, right? right. Um, so you can get fiber from animals. Yep. Okay, So I'm going through my list of things that I would do to do this. Mm-hmm. What am I missing on that list? So prebiotics and probiotics. What yep. else? So... Um, Believe it or not, fasting, right? Okay. How does that increase butyric acid production? So it inc- fasting actually increases the diversity of the microbiome. And fasting costs nothing. In fact, it costs you less money because you're not yeah, you're really money. eating yeah, anything, right? right? And, yeah. time. So, and time, right? And so um, what's interesting about fasting when you, when you look at it is it increases the diversity of the microbiome. And specifically, it increases the growth of bacteria that are primed to produce more butyric acid. So your butyrate-producing bacteria increase in growth when you fast. Oh, wow. That is something I did not know. And I'm, I'm working on some detailed research on fasting right now. I, yeah. I got to incorporate that. Yeah. Um, very cool. And there are studies on this. There are studies on this. Um, okay. And then, of course, the spores increase the, um, the production of butyrate by 50% in three weeks. So we've seen that and we've published that last year. Um, and then when you add in an oligosaccharide, so if you have a true symbiotic, which is a, the a compatible combination of probiotic-prebiotic, yep. then you're going to increase that butyric acid production from 50% to 150%. And we saw that when we added in a prebiotic that we created with the probiotic, and that's also in a published study. That is fascinating. So basically what you're ending up with is huge amounts of butyric acid, which is core to healing the gut in general. And butyric acid is also antifungal, if I Mm -hmm. recall right. Yep, it is. And it brings about uh, balance within the microbiome. That's one of the ways that the spores increase the growth of other bacteria because there are bacteria that also metabolize butyric acid as a, as a primary fuel source. And if they're not getting adequate butyric acid, their populations are going to go down okay. inevitably, right? So, so if we translate this, you're listening to the show, don't eat food with antibiotics in it because then mm-hmm. the whole system breaks. That means Absolutely. if you're eating industrial meat, you're a bad person because you're, you're, it's bad for the animals, <laughs> it's bad for the soil, it's bad for the planet, it's bad for you, and it's bad for the people around you. And you're going to hear about why it's bad for them in a minute. 
Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. There is something called the home bacteria cloud. Yeah. Uh, is that what you call it? Yeah, I call it the microbiome cloud. Microbiome yeah. cloud. Yeah. So now you've entered the realm of cloud computing, my, my old home now. <laughs> um, so this is this goes back to an article that I it was in Wired probably 10 years ago, and it was one of the best attention-grabbing uh, uh, titles I've ever seen for clickbait. And it was, everyone is surrounded by a cloud of poop and fart bacteria. <laughs> yep, basically. <laughs> and you're like, gross. Uh, but it was research that said they could actually identify who you were even two hours after you left a room just by sequencing all the stuff in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me about the the biome in our homes yeah. and what that does to what's in our gut and the people around us. Yeah, the microbiome cloud. So, um, you know, there's, there's a whole series of evidence that there there's a huge impact um, from your health based on the microbiome cloud around you, right? So some of the studies were studies that showed that households that have dogs tend to have kids with lower incidence rates of asthma and viral infections because dogs kind of go out and bring in a bunch of bacteria into your system. And, and the uglier the dog, the healthier the kids. <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> My dog's cute. Just <laughs> um, and then the other um, studies have shown that households that have more individuals living in it tend to have healthier outcomes for everybody than households that have one or two individuals living in it. So the more okay. humans they're sharing microbes have an impact. One of the really interesting, impactful studies that really demonstrated this was one um, done out of Johns Hopkins, published about a year and a half ago. And they followed individuals who were starting a course of antibiotics. And um, what, when the, before they started the course of antibiotics, they would take stool samples, they would take microbiome samples, and then they measured their samples during the course of antibiotics and then up to six months after. And sure enough, they found that there was a huge perturbation taking the antibiotic. No surprise there. And then the perturbation lasted up to six months after stopping the antibiotics. But then they also followed the microbiomes of individuals that lived in the same household who were not taking the antibiotic, and they found a very similar perturbation in those individuals, even though they weren't taking the antibiotic. That is scary. It's crazy, right, when you think about it. There's also studies that show that if you spend a lot of time, if you have a lot of fat friends, Mm -hmm. you're more likely to be fat. Totally. Mm -hmm. And the presumed cause of this is why science epidemiology just looking at at not looking at cause but looking at correlation is annoying because we go oh well the cause is very clearly well you have fat friends they eat too much pizza like as a former 300 pound guy i I was fat even if i didn't eat too much pizza but there was something else going on and we also know that there's certain kinds of chicken either bacteria viruses i think it's a virus that causes you to be obese no matter what you eat Mm -hmm. right so What may be happening here is not that, oh, your fat friends have bad habits. In other words, blame the fatty, not okay, because mm-hmm. it is not it, it, it's not a willpower issue, and oftentimes it's not behavioral. Right. Sometimes it is, emotional eating, whatever, but um, it actually may just be that, okay, your gut bacteria is broken. 
Uh, and then if you're hanging around with a bunch of friends uh, who also have broken gut bacteria, yours may become broken because they're going to sync up. Totally. It, it reminds me of when women in, in a sorority together, right. their cycles will sync. They Are match up. Tell right? me yeah. our poop is matching because I'm interviewing you right now. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're lucky. You're yeah, totally, yes. I'm very happy to be getting your cloud. Exactly. I have the most expensive poop <laughs> in the room. you over here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, that we share microbes in so many ways that we don't even realize, right? The, wow. the poop and fart thing, just farting, of course, sends sorry, out a whole sorry, bunch of your virus. That, yeah. you know? no. <laughs> but thank you for the dose. <laughs> Gross. You really just gave us a nice probiotic. I, I'm teaching my kids to say thanks. <laughs> And where's a dog? I thought he was one. Um, so then, so then the other thing, like just look at a toilet, for example, right? Um, yeah. When you you poop in there, you've got all of this stool. You got trillions of bacteria sitting in there. You flush it. It's a vortex. It spins. It's going to aerosolize a bunch of bacteria from your poop that gets sucked into the ventilation system, blown back out through your air conditioning. And so we are covering each other with poop and colonic bacteria all the time. And if somebody in the house has predominance of dysfunctional colonic bacteria, they can literally spread that to everybody else within the system. And over time, everybody's microbiome can be off. So one of the things that that I learned about this is that the, the balance in the gut, and I think we talked about this in the last time we were on the show, it's definitely, there's a fungal component to it. Mm -hmm. There's a bacterial component to it. There's a viral and a phage component mm -hmm. and probably some other stuff we don't even know about. Yeah. Little miniature leprechauns running around in there. No one's seen <laughs> right. them yet. Um, but whatever, we're, we're still learning. But yeah. th this is the universe that, that I know to work with. And we know that bacteria throughout the body, like there's a lung biome people yeah. don't know. You know there's a, a sinus biome, there's an eye, eye biome, biome, a skin yeah. biome. There's all these different things that we're, we're discovering all the time and I'm blown away by it. But they respond to the world around them. So if you're living in a house with toxic mold, and, and by the way, if you haven't seen Moldy Movie, it's free. And I, I spent a couple hundred grand making the thing and a lot of time because it just matters so much. It does. So moldymovie.com. Um, what I found, though, is that if you have toxic mold in the home biome, you know, the, the biome cloud around, the bacteria in the body, especially in the sinuses, they'll form biofilms, mm -hmm. which is that, that fourth F word, friend. Yep. But they're like, oh, there's a threat. In other words, you've got something in the walls or in the carpet or wherever that's making antibiotics. So then the bacteria go into like aggressive mode. They you know, shields up and, yep. you, you know, uh, toxins out, essentially, would be the, the fear response that they right. would get. Uh, so... If you have an imbalance there, you can uh, uh, you can affect what's going on in the sinuses. I know, but does that then do quorum sensing or some other sort of signaling to then tell the gut bacteria to become more biofilm forming, more toxic? Hmm, yeah, and in fact, the the communication will go both ways, right? Okay. So disruptions in the gut bacteria can have that same impact in the sinus cavities, and again, all of that is translated through the mucosal system. Um, and you know, people don't talk enough about the mucosal system, right? We we're very aware of the skin, our dermal uh, our dermal layer, yeah, and we think that's the largest surface area in the body. The mucosal system is about 150 times larger in surface area, and it it denotes the true separation between the inside and the outside of the body, right? Things can go into your system through your nose, through your mouth, through your ears, and still be outside of the body technically um, until it penetrates through the mucosal layer. And so the mucosal layer is the conduit in which all of the microbes and cells and all that communicate with each other, especially the immune component to it. 
So if your gut is dysfunctional and you've got uh, mold toxins being exposed in the gut all the time, you've got uh, an overgrowth of viral components and all that, that translates to the, the sinus cavities and allows for that type of confirmation in the sinus cavities. Does it go the other way if your sinuses tend to be the first disrupted uh, site? Typically, it goes from the gut to the sinuses rather than sinuses to the gut. So right. if you've got a dysfunction in the sinus, it, it more than likely started in the gut. Interesting. So in the gut, and then the gut does get a signal from the environment around it. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's the biggest area of sampling in the body. So, so w- one of the things uh, that I'm I'm really excited about is that uh, my company Homebiotic, one yeah. of the companies I've started. People know me for Bulletproof, but I've, right. there's 40 years of Zen. There's Homebiotic. There's True Dark. The glasses and these are like no one's doing this. Someone right. has to do it. So then I end up starting them. So we make a, a probiotic you spray around the house yeah. specifically, not for gut health, although it may do that. I'm going to ask you about that. Um, specifically to to fight toxic mold with you know, third-party studies that show it blocks toxic mold. And I'm I'm interested to know, though, now that we're thinking about it, I mean, should there be other species? Because going back to the flushing example, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to assume that I've protected myself. I've taken my spore forming, you know, just thrive. So my, yeah. my ability to have... Uh, complex and diverse bacteria is amplified. I'm making my butyric acid and I'm getting those benefits. And then I go into the bathroom and some, you know, <laughs> some, <laughs> some guest dropped a bomb in there. Right? <laughs> Should there be like a, a probiotic spray that I'm like misting around my bathroom so that right. I'm getting good stuff? I, I mean, it, is this a thing? Should it be a thing? You know, that's an interesting concept. Um, it could be. Now, that being said, if you are taking care of the rest of the environment in the house, right, so the, the surfaces, the air, and so on, um, the exposure to, to potentially bad bacteria from one guest who's not taking care of his or herself. Um, you ate an industrial animal and I can smell it. Exactly. Sorry. Um, in fact, can can help with building resilience, right? Because it's good for us to get oh, exposed so, so to brief exposures things. create, okay, it's like yeah, exercise. All right. Exactly. It's like exercise or getting exposure to the cold virus or the flu virus builds some resilience against okay. that. Um, so I would say that's not necessarily a problem. But if you have a chronic dysfunction in your home, like you said, if you have constant mold toxins over there, you're overall ecosystem is weakened, that allows that one guest's dysfunctional bacteria to actually make more of an impact on you. It's kind of like overtraining. It'll exactly. Make okay. Yeah. I, I get that. Now, you talked about uh, these uh, mucosal surfaces, and they translate very remarkably into the recreational areas of the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I love that word recreational <laughs> areas, you know, because um, it's, it's, they're biologically important, but they're also for play. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and when I say recreational, I'm talking about like your ears. Okay, yeah. your, your music. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what you're thinking about. Uh, and, and then, Tina was uh, yeah. Again, Tina. Tina. Jeez. Oh, come on. Okay. <laughs> and then you've got you know your eyes. You, you're seeing yeah. things like that. But there's a mu- mucosal surface there. And then you know obviously you can taste food and other things. And then the other mucosal uh, right. surfaces, which is where I was going with this. Um, you've done some work and you have some research around the vaginal microbiome and what's good for it and what's bad for it. So how do you hack the vagina? Yeah. <laughs> so first it's about talking to you, it. <laughs> you have to talk to I'm it. Like, yeah. you, have to, <laughs> you have to whisper. Tina, tell us about your vagina, please. <laughs> you didn't know we were going to go here? I didn't know that was coming, No. <laughs> No, the vaginal microbiome is maybe the most interesting uh, bacterial um, 
culture there is on the body, right? So most of the body, diversity is a really good thing. On the skin, we're finding out more and more diversity is a positive thing. In the gut, diversity is paramount to health. Diversity in the gut will dictate how long you live. It has a huge impact on your longevity. Then you come down to the vagina, which is a great place for bacteria to grow. It's moist. It's warm. All of the good things about it. And there's lots of bacteria that are being exposed to that area, but a healthy vagina typically is predominated by one bacteria. And that one bacteria can be somewhat unique to each woman, but it's typically a lactobacilli, right? Which is a very unique thing when you look at bacterial culture environments. We talked earlier about how- That's not a spore former though. No, it's not a spore former. No, it's a a natural occurring uh, commensal bacteria, um, which which can also be found in the gut of most women. Um, So it's typically like a ruteri or gasteri, um, there's crispactus, and, and typically women will have one of those as a predominant bacteria, right? So it, in 75% of women, a healthy vaginal microbiota means they are predominated by one bacteria. Another 25%, they tend to have higher levels of diversity within the vaginal microbiome, but they also tend to have more issues with BV, fertility, and all that. And that tends to be found actually to some degree in minority women, which is interesting. So minority women oftentimes have a greater diversity, which is correlated with less reproductive health. Exactly. Yeah, and and more a little bit more dysfunction in their vaginal ecosystem. Okay. You know, so um, so that's what's really interesting about that ecosystem. Because again, we talked about earlier. Anytime you get an area where a lot of bacteria can grow, they form these complex uh, community structures where they bring about balance between okay. species. In this case, it's one bacteria. So. The thinking behind that is, okay, if it's one bacteria, it's it's a tenuous system. Mm-hmm. We can easily screw that up, right? Okay. Uh, one of the areas where, where inevitably women get that screwed up is by going to the OBGYN, you know, which you have to go. We're not saying don't go to the OBGYN, but the commercial lubricants that are used in the OBGYN offices have a huge impact on that vaginal microbiota. This is like KY, basically. Yeah, uh, and all of the lubricants that, that most people use for their personal life, right? Like like for fun. For fun, for the recreation side. So is there a lubricant that's a a prebiotic lubricant? (laughs) Chocolate flavored maybe? Right. (laughs) Um, Not yet. Uh, We are working on one right now. You really really should because that would be a big deal. Totally. We're working on one with the idea of um, not harming the vaginal microbiome because everything else tested so far harms the vaginal microbiome in some in some measurable way. The the ones in doctor's offices, there's a study going on at University of Maryland where they're looking at intra-vaginal um, uh, ultrasounds. So these are these probes that yeah. go in, they lubricate it. Even a single exposure to that in some women um, basically devastate the vaginal microbiome and it never recovers again. So, so it's, it's interesting. Um, people may not know this. My first book was about fertility and yeah. I did research for that for five years. My wife, Dr. Lana was infertile and I met her and we put together a program like, Hey, if you eat this stuff and we ended up having our kids at 39 and 42 with no IVF. So right. I, wow. I paid more attention awesome. to the reproductive system and hormones and stuff in the vagina than average. Uh, and not just from a recreational perspective, but from a functional right. perspective. Although it turns out to get pregnant, you have to do both. Yeah. Which um, is a good thing. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. I'm not complaining. And, <laughs> And this is the weirdest interview. Uh, anyway, some women, I and mean, these are kind of uh, folk, folksy stuff, but some women will actually do yogurt in the vagina in order to restore, I'm assuming, lactobacillus. 
Yeah, and, and of course, OBGYNs, everyone's like, oh my God, you're going to die. And I'm like, most women who do that probably don't die, right. but they might not like the results. Yeah. Generally, any validity to this, or is it just crazy pants? No, the, the, the problem is it's a completely different type of lactobacillus. Got it. You know, that's in the but, yogurt. Could yeah. it act as a signal to the other stuff or a prebiotic for it, or is it just a bad idea? Yeah, I, I think it could be a bad idea. The problem is Even there if it's are... Greek yogurt? <laughs> Actually, Greek yogurt. Now you're talking. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, what's really surprising is how condition the, the vaginal microbiome is to what's happening in the gut, okay. right? Um, like cut, one of the things that cutting is doing is using spore-based probiotics as a as trying to create a okay. natural Cutting vaccines. the researcher, okay. Yeah, yeah Simon yeah. Cutting, yeah. Uh, who we, we got the strains from. What was really interesting about it, because we talked about earlier how spores can be antigen presenting, right? They can right. present antigens to the immune system. So he's doing these studies where he puts like a tetanus antigen on a spore, makes you swallow it, and then shows this robust... Uh, anti-tetanus immune response in the okay. body. Now, he did uh, published a study showing with the tetanus antigen, um, when you take the tetanus antigen, you stick it on a spore, you give it to somebody orally, he did this in women, and then within two hours, you can see anti-tetanus antibodies in the vaginal canal of the women. Wow, that fast. Right? That fast, right? It's lightning fast, essentially. So, so the antigen that's being presented to the immune system in the gut the um, then there's an amplif amplification of immune response against that antigen. That response then gets translated to the vaginal microbiome that quickly. So I'm starting to feel envy because I don't have a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a complex area that vagina. It must be so know? fun, <laughs> Tina. I, I mean, like, wow. So that leads to the real question. There. All right, uh, man. I feel like I'm in seventh grade all the time. <laughs> I, I like my mind. Uh, anyway, um, the. The question is, okay, there's something else that disrupts the the microbial diversity in the vagina, and that's called a penis. Mm -hmm. right? yes. so, yeah. Isn't there like an equivalent Bad penis? penis. <laughs> <laughs> an equivalent penis bacterial thing? It seems like we're always talking about uh, the vaginal microbiome, in large part because women get yeast infections, which is mm -hmm. really irritating, and because well, they typically have more issues there. Right. But isn't it kind of the penis biome that's a big part of the issues there? It, it can be. So well, the the problem with the penis is that... Um, there are many. Right? There, there are many <laughs> problems, right? But one big microbial problem with the penis is it tends to have skin type of bacteria. So it tends to have streptococcus, staphylococcus, E. coli on the penis. And so when the penis is in there and it's doing what it's doing, it's introducing those types of bacteria into the, the woman's vaginal canal. And if the vaginal canal isn't predominated by lactobacillus and that lactobacillus is really strong, it gives a opportunity, uh, an opportunity for that ecosystem to fall apart. Um, equally, there are, you know, the vagina is also very close to the anus, right? And that, that wonderful space in between called the perineum um, is a highway for colonic bacteria to make their way into the vagina. So, so this is proof that uh, we probably weren't designed by God. No, exactly <laughs> right. Who would put a recreational area in a toxic waste dump right next right, to each right, other? It's, yep. just, it's, not, it's not right. It just doesn't make sense. Oh. Yes, yeah. There was no intelligent creation behind this. It just happenstance. Um, it, Seventh graders definitely coming out. <laughs> Although some people would argue which one is toxic, which one is recreational. But, uh, you know, to be fair. Um, but, but, the, the colonic bacteria, the E. coli and enterococcus yeah. that's coming out of there all the time, 
tend to try to migrate into the vaginal canal. They've got this little highway called a perineum. Mm-hmm. There's a moist, warm area. It wants okay. to try to get in there. So the, so the vagina is essentially between the penis and the anus and the skin around it is surrounded by microbes that are trying to get into that little utopia. So, so then before sex, should a guy you know, dip his penis in boiling water? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe iodine. <laughs> but in other words, like, do we need to like scrub down real good? You know, it's a, it's a good idea to be, to be clean a little well, bit. Yeah, yeah. cleanliness. Well, then there's cleanliness, but then there's also like, I mean, you can get betadine, which they use as a pre-surgical yeah. scrub. And that'll kill most things on your skin. I mean, totally. I, I don't think I would enjoy scrubbing myself with it. Right. And I'd probably not smell very good. You smell like antiseptic. <laughs> yeah. but, I, no, I mean, you know, we, we, it, how necessary is it to be like... I, I wouldn't say it's necessary because we've had millions of years of evolution of penises it, going in vaginas. Like something good might right. happen from that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, other than the obvious. Exactly. I think, I think a lot right. of it is the toxicity that... Um, occurs in our gut and then translates in our okay. mucosa and then translates to the vagina. Just as that study by Cutting showed that the amplification of immune response in the gut translates so quickly to the vaginal canal, toxicity in the gut can translate very quickly to the vaginal so, canal. So fix the gut, fix the vagina. Exactly, yeah. Okay. And, and then don't do things that we know deliberately harm the vaginal canal, like most personal lubricants do. Um, if you're at the OBGYN offices, ask about alternatives. I've even had women bringing in things like uh, extra virgin olive oil uh, yeah. and saying, hey, can you use this instead? Does it work? You know, it, it totally is fine for the lubrication part, for the speculum and doing and, and going in and doing the exam. What we don't know is that if it interferes with the pap smear. So if you're getting a pap smear, that may not be an option, right? What but, about for recreational use? Absolutely, yeah. Like, it can absolutely smell like salad dressing. It's, just not, it's not <laughs> it's, right. It's so healthy. It encourages you to actually, you know, get <laughs> a dietary Mediterranean diet right there. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. I had to say it. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and then uh, coconut oil. A lot of people like to use coconut oil. Yeah. Coconut oil can be problematic because it has antimicrobial sure. co- yeah. pra- properties, and so it'll likely kill the lactobacilli that are in the vagina. So I would caution against it uh, for that purpose, right? So... also, yeah. I've seen people treat themselves with tea tree oil, right? Um, like tea tree oil suppositories, yeah. uh, which is probably going to reduce all the bad stuff, and then hopefully the good stuff will grow afterwards. Right. That's the hope. Yeah. Okay. There's, although there's no studies behind it, but okay. that's the thing. I, I know some yeah. people for whom it works really well. Yeah. Um, and then there. It, okay. So I'm just going to go out and leave here. I'm, I'm asking all the the weird biohacker questions. So if I was a woman and I was going to have sex, maybe with a new partner. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe with a partner who you're just like, I don't know, every time I have sex, I itch afterwards. Right. <laughs> I, I, I'm making this up, having not experienced any of this. Um, should I like take a culture of my good vaginal bacteria before sex? I eat my panties, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Preserve it. And then yeah. like throw them in the freezer or something. I'm totally making this up. I don't know if they live in the freezer or not. And then after sex, I kind of wash off and then like put the good stuff back on so it'll repopulate. You know, that could work. There are There is something being developed right now called vaginal microbiome transplants. Right. Right. Like for, for birth. For, right. for birth. And then also for uh, women that suffer from chronic BV, oh. where you can actually take transplants from other women who have really healthy vaginal microbiomes and transplant it into women that don't. Same with the fecal transplant. So There's, instead of fecal, that, we're going like vaginal. That's like a natural thing. It's called scissoring. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> it's supposed to happen, right? Like, I, I, I'm pretty sure that like if you look back throughout human history, that that happened naturally. And, yeah. And also 
seriousness because we didn't wash our hands all the time and right. people do touch themselves at various times and like I, I think that was a natural yeah it was just part of the human microbiome in a village or a tent or whatever right, right. going out on a limb there but yeah. <laughs> okay all right um, but but that that's interesting that that you mentioned that it could work what what to me um, where my mind goes with that is, um, you know, all of these detergents that we use and, and sterilization products that we use in our household to continuously clean and sterilize our sheets, our underwear, our surfaces and all that, um, that can have a negative impact because we're not reintroducing our good microbes to ourselves once we go through a perturbation. So, for example, um, like you said, a woman who has, you know, healthy discharge in her panties and that mm-hmm. contains some of her good bacteria. Right. If after sex she puts that back on, then you're reintroducing some of those good bacteria. So that might right? be a better practice than putting on just a sterile pair of, you know, just totally, the yeah. washing machine panties. Right. Or yeah. in laying back in your bed, you know, there's there's a lot of benefits shown to sleeping naked, right, in the bed, obviously. And and a lot of that is we're dumping a lot of our microbes into our into that ecosystem, okay. and we continuously get that uh, osmosis from those microbes as we lay in and there. That's one reason you shouldn't use fabric softener, especially on your sheets, because exactly. that's going to disrupt all of that. Yeah. Okay. Very fascinating. I hadn't thought of that at all. So yeah. uh, I'm my I'm blown away. Now you talked a little bit about something else that that has me interested. So you talked about taking the the species that you guys use mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Dr. Simon Cutting. Uh, and then he said he was putting antigens from tetanus. Mm-hmm. How is he putting it? Is he rubbing it on tetanus or how does that – how do you ah, get yeah. those so on there? So there's a way to bind it. So the the spore is a protein. The, when it's in the spore form, it has a protein coat mm-hmm. to it. Uh, most antigens are proteins themselves. So there's a way of binding proteins to proteins. You use these things called ligands and you can attach the protein to protein. Yeah. Okay. So, so he's actually doing it attaching a, it. They're doing it in a test tube. In a test tube, yeah. Okay. Got it. And what is an IgG yeah. and how does that work? Because you guys are, are hacking IgGs and, yes. and I, I actually know what they are because some of the things I make are specific to increasing IgG, but yeah. you've got a new take on it. So define what an IgG is, how that refers to tetanus and just kind of give me the, give me the down low on this. Yeah. Well, an IgG is an antibody, as you know, and um, IgG is one of the most common antibodies that are found in the body. And so um, its job is to bind to toxins and bacteria, bad bacteria and viruses and other bad stuff in our gut and neutralize them and have them safely removed okay. from the body. Yeah. So. And, you know, what's, um, to add to what Tina is saying the way we even came across this with the with the whole concept of utilizing IgG for gut health, right, is um, we were part of a small consortium of companies that were working with HIV researchers okay. um, to study what we can do about something called HIV enteropathy. So the NIH published a study, I think it was 2014, that showed that the best predictor of mortality in HIV and AIDS patients was the degree of leakiness in their gut. Right, Um, And they call it HIV enteropathy because what tends to happen in that condition is you get start getting all of this mucosal inflammation, gut lining damage, and then you develop the the, um, opportunistic infections that come along. And in fact, the progression from HIV to AIDS is dictated by how leaky that gut is. Wow. Right? So then the the NIH actually proposed a challenge to the research community and said, if you can find a solution for HIV enteropathy, we could probably significantly reduce the pathogenesis of the disease, like how fast it progresses, the mortality rate, and so on. So there were a couple of companies, including ourselves, that have 
things that are therapeutic in the gut that work on the lining of the gut, the barrier function. We met this company that has this immunoglobulin product. Mm -hmm. And at that point, they had two published studies in HIV patients showing that when you take bovine immunoglobulins, which is coming from the bovine serum, so cow serum, and you introduce it orally into HIV patients, you actually um, reestablish the formation of the mucosal lining. You bring down inflammatory response in the gut lining, even in HIV, which is an accelerated mm-hmm. form of leaky gut, and then it allows for the repair of the right. gut lining. So, so people oftentimes are grossed out. Bovine serum albumin. Yeah. Uh, you're like, actually, that comes from cow blood, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. So yeah. unless uh, most people have never heard of this, unless you're like a long time bulletproof fan, the first whey protein that I formulated eight ten years ago, whenever that was, um, it was twenty percent bovine serum albumin for specifically yeah. getting IgGs into the body, mm-hmm. and it was also a special kind of whey, and it had some MCT uh, powder in it, and it was like people, people like pro athletes would take it and going, oh my god, what's in here? Right. This is amazing. Um, but bovine serum albumin is it's hard to get, and it it's varying quality. So I ended up switching to colostrum. Yeah. A lot of people have heard of that. That's mother's milk. And that's yeah. also high in IgG. So the first two days after we have kids or after any animal has has uh, babies, with any nursing animal, yeah. it makes very high IgG as a way to get this signal into the body. Mm-hmm. And, and then after two days, the milk turns into normal milk, which yeah. still has IgGs, right? Yeah. So what, you know, what do you... What are you doing with your new IgG, uh, I don't want to call it hacking, like, like you've, you've yeah. got a new IgG product that's different than the spore-forming Just Thrive probiotics, yeah. but works with it. What I don't understand is how they work together. So kind of walk me through your thinking behind it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, and that's a great question. So we think of the IgG as really intelligent drones, if you will, right? So if you've got a battleground, which is the gut, which is always a battleground, and you've got toxic things in there like viruses, bacteria, mold, mold toxin, uh, as you as you you described earlier, those things are continuously driving inflammatory responses. And inflammatory responses actually have a negative effect on the microbiome population. So chronic inflammation actually brings down diversity in the microbiome. And in part because inflammation supports the growth of opportunistic pathogens, right? So we're thinking a two-step approach then to healing the gut. We're sending the spores in there that are going to start modulating the population of bacteria within the gut. They're going to start increasing the production of things like butyrate, short-chain fatty acids, which help the rest of the population. But really to accelerate the healing process, we need to also dampen all of the toxic effect that's going on in the gut. And IgG being these intelligent drones that you can send in that go around and find the mold toxin, find the bacterial particles, uh, find the C. diff toxin. I mean, they neutralize all of these things that are driving the inflammatory process in the gut and get rid of them. So IgGs do that, yeah, right, if you get enough of them in. So what is the Just Thrive IgG, like you have Ultimate IgG, it's a new thing you guys made. What is what is it doing? Well, it all it's also dairy free, which okay. is a great advantage, and it has more IgG than you would find in, in most colostrum. colostrums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, this is a fifty-three percent okay. IgG. So yeah. this is basically a powdered supplement, bovine yep. serum albumin, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. By the way, um, we're not doing the whey protein that I'd be saying anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, just because I focus really heavily on collagen, and you yeah. can only have so many products before your brain explodes. <laughs> right. But right. Yeah. just saying that the BSA is the research is insane. It is. Yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is uh, it's just an unknown thing in the world, even of biohacking. Bodybuilders in the 80s looked at it. Yep. But in terms of restoring gut, it's I, I think you guys are onto something very, uh, very potent there. Yeah, I think one of the things I just wanted to add is 
you know, as a company, we really try to bring things to the market that are missing in the market and needed in the market. And, you know, we obviously have so many times where, you know, suppliers are coming up to us, this this is the greatest, this is the greatest product and the greatest ingredient, but we really are trying to find things that yeah. are backed by research, backed by science, I mean, and, and bring them to the market and that are really making a difference in people's lives. That's really important to us. Well, there, there's two kinds of entrepreneurs, right? There's the mission-driven uh, entrepreneurs like yeah. you and, and like me. We're like, oh, let's make something you can't buy because the world needs it. Yep. And then you get the entrepreneurs who are saying, oh, look, that guy made something cool. I'll make the same thing, but I'll do a shitty job. Yep. I'll tell everyone it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And then I'll basically destroy the category yeah. with my, you know, low cost, mm-hmm. non functional copies. Yep. I, I've right. seen a lot of that. The, the me too epidemic in the in this industry, right? That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. 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 And pretty soon you have someone with a seven dollar uh, yeah, non tested exactly. probiotic saying it's the same thing. Yeah. I, I get people, you know, copying <laughs> try to copy what I do with my coffee beans. You can't. It's right. really hard. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, we do the same thing. Like, no, you don't. No, no. But like that kind of behavior doesn't work. So I appreciate you coming out with BSA. But I have mm-hmm. a, a hard question for you. And I did not ask you as ahead of time. I didn't even realize you were using BSA. I just knew you were working with IGGs. Yeah. So, you know, um, this, 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 you guys, you know, this is a sponsored episode because I wanted you guys to come back in yeah. and all. Uh, but I didn't, uh, I didn't, you know, prep in order to, like, mm-hmm. to, to, to do this. I just want to ask you hard questions. Where does the bovine serum albumin come from? Hmm. So it comes from the cows. And the cows. Kind of cows. Yeah. So happy cows? Yes. <laughs> Very happy cows getting massages and <laughs> drinking beer. You know. No, in fact, uh, that, oh, that's a really important part it is, of it, yeah. right? It's really, really critical. Um in fact, a lot of the cows that, that this comes from are New Zealand cows. Mm-hmm. And and globally in general, New Zealand cows are thought to be the healthiest cows. There, yeah, right? a lot of grass-fed dairy comes yeah, from New Zealand. It's, exactly. It's a pretty healthy cow place. I guess you, you, yeah. Number one, that would raise my assessment much higher. That was yeah. one of my problems with, with the BSA I was doing was I couldn't get sourcing on it. Totally. And I, I, do, I, I really don't want to support industrial agriculture in any way, mm-hmm. or at least industrial animal agriculture, because it's evil and it is. there's all sorts <laughs> of problems. Right. Okay, so New Zealand, okay, yeah. and they do tend to eat grass because it's cheaper than grain in New it Zealand. Is. Just yeah. like Irish butter, same thing. Like, exactly. Oh, grain was expensive, grass was cheap. We did grass. Yeah. Okay. So you're uh, you're doing that. Yeah. Okay. Anything else we should know about the cows? Um, so you know, ultimately, the the cows are cows that are going to end up being meat, right? Mm-hmm. So they're they're going to be slaughtered anyway. Um, so th- for those that feel a little bit bad about, you know, maybe you you ethically you've you've gone vegetarian if you're listening. Dude, I'm to sorry. This, it, you know, I, we got to just stop this. <laughs> you are unethical if you are a vegan. Because you are destroying soil on the planet. Your stupid vegetables eat animal poop. And if you don't come to grips with that, you are simply a traumatized, wobbling lump of nutritionally devoid flesh. I'm sorry. Like, you have to deal with this fact that you cannot eat vegetables without poop. I say this as a Mm -hmm. farmer. I say this. This is what happens when you mine you strip mine the earth to get things to put in your soil, and you we have about forty years of of those reserves left. Right. And then, if we don't have regenerative agriculture with cows walking around crapping on all our food, over the soil, we yeah. will not have soil, and we will not have food. We have sixty yep. years of topsoil left. So yep. stop saying ethical. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's unethical to take animals out of agriculture. Like we will die as a species if we yeah. do that. We need them. They need us. So pet your cows, treat them well, and at least eat the butter. All right, right. sorry. <laughs> but back to our regularly scheduled. 
program. Right. <laughs> I had to get that off my chest. No, and, and, and that's that's absolutely right. I mean, that's part of that community structure, the quorum sensing the we talked F. about. Like the fourth yeah. F. Friends. Exactly. Right. Friends with the animals. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and so these these cows are going to be meat cows eventually. Yeah. And and so it's it's a byproduct of that. You're, we're utilizing the blood that really typically just gets sent to a rendering it, it plant. It would have been, if you're lucky, oftentimes it's sent into rivers. Like right. It, it exactly, was considered yeah. waste and it has precious molecules that are good for humans. Yeah. It. Okay. So, so you're taking a waste product yep. that might've been pet food, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And it's turning into something that is, is fixing people's gut lining yep. and their immune systems. All Highly right. therapeutic. I feel yeah. pretty good about that. Yeah. Right. And, and so that passes my, you know, is it good for the earth? Is it good for the animal? Is it good for the human? Right. Um, it all those boxes are checked yep. with BSA, but people it's like ew, gross blood. Yeah. And at that point, we got to talk about the Maasai. Yeah, yes, yeah, right. so I was gonna, I was gonna bring that okay. up myself. Br- yeah, bring them up. <laughs> I mean, there's so many cultures. The Maasai are famously known for drinking the cow's blood, the cattle yeah. blood, right? And it's a warrior thing. It's about the virility it gives them, and so on. Um, to a modern culture that looks crazy and gross and all that, but they actually blend it in coffee now. They really? do? No. Wow. no. Oh, I was like, really? <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I still got you. Wow, you, you got totally it. shocked us. <laughs> yeah, we're like, you've really done a good job getting the brand everywhere. <laughs> um, but, I mean, they're, they're largely living on cow's milk and cow's blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the men, especially when they're out hunting and things like that. Yeah. But but that is a, a shockingly high part of their diet and their their incidence of disease is low. Yeah. And, and albumin, uh, bovine serum albumin, is probably the top five used um, nutrient in scientific research. Mm-hmm. It's used as a growth factor for every, every kind of cell you can think of for bacteria in media and all that. It's so rich in life-giving sustenance that it's so critical for research. It's also mm-hmm. naturally free of antibiotic residues mm-hmm. because it wouldn't work in research settings exactly. otherwise. Right. Right. right, right. It would throw yep. things. So I don't know the filtering process, but you probably do for how they're the, they're getting the albumin that doesn't have residues. But yeah, it's, and it's um, it's a very expensive and, and critical. Mm-hmm. It's called lyophilizing, so freeze drying process that okay. purifies it really good. Okay. Now. I feel like I've learned an incredible amount. I didn't think we we're going to go into BSA because no one knows about <laughs> bovine serum albumin. Right. Of course, you guys do. Um, and we've talked about all sorts of uh, all sorts of good stuff. Um, talked about vaginas. <laughs> Most important thing: uh, save the vaginas. Recreational areas, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. What did we not talk about that's new and cutting edge research that we didn't cover in the last interview and in yeah. this one? Because um, you know, you're you're becoming my my go-to experts yeah. on uh, on what's you know the latest stuff going on with adding stuff to the gut. Right. One of the things that we're working on right now is the um, the gut mitochondria, the microbiome mitochondria axis, right? Um, which is an area we love, and just as evolutionary biology nerds, you, you know, and you mentioned this earlier that the mitochondria use the same kind of quorum sensing as, as the bacteria in our gut because mitochondria are really ancient bacteria, right? right? There are these ancient pleiotropic bacteria that got basically swallowed up by an archaea and then formed this eukaryotic human cell. And the needs of the mitochondria are very similar to the needs of the microbes in your gut. And there's a direct conduit for things that are produced in the microbiome that support our mitochondria. For example, one of the areas that we're really interested in is polyphenols and the conversion of polyphenols to things like urolithin. 
Urolithin is a compound that is absolutely critical to something called mitophagy, which I'm sure oh, you've yeah. talked about quite a bit, a right? About it, yeah. yeah, and and, uh, and mitochondria. De- death of weak mitochondria we're talking about. Exactly, and cleaning up the damaged yeah. mitochondria. And then the mitochondria biogenesis, which is the formation of new mitochondria. Okay. That signal for triggering the removal of, of dif- uh, dysfunctional mitochondria and bringing about the growth of new mitochondria comes from the gut microbiome. Those bacteria are signaling to their ancient cousins in our cells uh, that you need to start cleaning up and, and shifting, you know, and aging is dis- defined by how many dysfunctional mitochondria we have in our system, right? A fascinating study that looked at tissue samples of a five-year-old compared to a 90-year-old published. This was a landmark study on tissue pathology, mm-hmm. and, and they sent it to pathologists blinded and said, discern the difference between these two tissues. They didn't know which one was which. The only thing they could find between the two tissues was a 90-year-old had 95% dysfunctional mitochondria, five-year-old had 100% functioning mitochondria. It, you know. It's interesting. Um, one of the guys who's been on the show, um, whose research I cited really heavily in Headstrong, which is my, my mitochondria science book, um, found that 48% of people under age 40 had deficient mitochondria, and yeah. everyone over age 40 has these. And so what you're saying, though, is that by changing your gut bacteria, because of this fourth F word, friend, mm-hmm. you know, we, we want to be friends with other species as well, or maybe yep. frenemies. Uh, so uh, what's going on is, is you can have a healthy gut bacteria that stimulates your mitochondria to get rid of the weak ones yep. and replace them with young ones, exactly. which is a preeminent strategy for anti-aging. Yep. I also mentioned this in Superhuman, the anti-aging book, because it's like, if you understand this, and you can say, I don't need to understand the details. I just need to know what to do. Like you said earlier, fasting mm-hmm. does magic stuff for mitophagy. Mm-hmm. It also does magic stuff with your gut bacteria diversity, which, again, sends a signal like, like you're describing. Sends a signal, exactly. And, yeah. and then you add in the... Um, uh, you add in the the spore forming bacteria, yeah. the stuff you make at Just Thrive, which is going to increase diversity even more. And that diversity in a different study that you didn't mention is actually something that can predict your age within four years. It is, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm guessing you know about that study yeah, as yeah, well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Tell me about that study. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating. And and the researchers actually just followed up with a second study that published this month, right? So the, the first study was about taking microbiome samples and, and being able to predict someone's chronological age without knowing who they are, what their age is, by looking at the um, ecosystem of their microbiome. And they were able to do it so accurately within four years uh, of their actual chronological age. And then they extrapolate that into predicting your biological age based on that as well, right? So the diversity in your microbiome will dictate how long you live and where Mm -hmm. you are in your aging process. Um, And then recently they published a study and said that actually the skin microbiome predicts it even closer than the gut microbiome. Both of them same correlated with diversity, but the skin microbiome does it even better. So if you do both, it actually gives you the the, the real definition okay. of how of how uh, healthy or sick you are. Now, here's the other cool thing about a study out of University of Arkansas looking at diversity and longevity. They found that 90 people in their 90s who are living chronic disease-free lives and were really healthy, when they compare their microbiomes to different age groups, they found that people who are the healthiest in their 90s had a diversity of gut microbiome in their, uh, compared to the uh, similar to people in their 30s. Because as you said, in your 40s, you start seeing a dysfunction in mitochondria right away, right? It mm-hmm. starts dropping quite a bit each oh, yeah. decade. 
correlative to that, the microbiome diversity drops quite a bit in your 40s as well. So they kind of go hand in hand. So if you're 90 and you're living a really healthy life and you're not aging the way typical 90-year-olds live, your microbiome looks like it did when you were in your 30s. Okay. As our mission-driven entrepreneur, and now I have a question for you. Okay. All right. We know that there's a company out there um, that does young blood transfusions from, from college students, right, where um, you take their blood and you, you know, pull out their serum, which has anti-aging compounds mm-hmm. in it. And by the way, I name the anti-aging compounds that you can synthesize anyway in, mm-hmm. in superhuman. And then you inject them in someone else. If they didn't have clinical studies, they shut it down. Now, would you consider creating like a young poop line <laughs> where you could get poop from young people to use fecal matter transplants for older people or maybe make a pill out of it? Um, well, I think we'd have to, like everything we do is based on science okay. and research. So I think we'd want to test it in humans. We wouldn't do anything if it wasn't tested in humans. But would you mm-hmm. test it yourself? She's got very young, healthy kids. You yes, can no. do it yourself at home. <laughs> yes. and, and the, this is true. Where, where I'm really going with that is, A, I, I hope you would say yes. Uh-huh. Um, but B, uh, that is actually the best fecal matter transplant. And by the way, if you're listening to this going, what's a fecal matter transplant? It's what it sounds like. You take mm-hmm. someone else's poop and you put it where the poop goes. Yeah. Yep. And it's cured all sorts of people of diseases. And it's also introduced diseases if you don't get clean poop. But right. who has the cleanest poop? A one-year-old right. who's never taken antibiotics whose mom ate clean food, right? Exactly. Right. So yeah. babies are healthier. I mean, I could see, I don't know if that would be a Just Thrive thing or some other company that you might start. Right, yeah. right. But honestly, if you can capture those species and you can make it so that older people can take them, mm-hmm. um, there are UK-based companies who are taking human poop species, putting mm-hmm. them in capsules that you can take. Yep. Uh, there are poop pills in the yeah, market now. Yeah, right. Yep. So, so I, I mean, just wonder it, about the lasting effect of it. That's what we'd have to find mm-hmm. out. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. would that be yeah, the kind of direction t- that Just Thrive yeah. could go? I mean, you're you're doing. Well, we're a, cutting edge, and we want yeah. it. We're always bringing things to the market that you know nobody else knows about, and, and right. they're different, that are based in science. So yeah, so we're we're open. Harvest some of your kids' poop. Yeah. And you're good to go. <laughs> just don't tell them. And, exactly. Um, Alan, Anna, I never took your poop, yeah. but I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay, but I, I honestly, I, I hope that you guys will continue being on the very cutting edge, whether or not you decide to do young people's poop pills, right? YPPP, <laughs> yeah. whatever that's called. Um, but I, I do think what you're doing around your ultimate IgG with bovine serum, al- bovine serum albumin, it has scientific efficacy. It has yeah. a long history. It's unknown and it's very beneficial. So yeah. thumbs up. Um, by the way, you. it's a powder. How's it taste? I didn't ask um, so it's, it's in a, it's, it's in a, a capsule. capsule. Okay. Oh, yeah. thank God. Yeah. I never was a fan of the taste. No, of that's, that element. can be problematic for yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, masking that was tough in the protein yeah. that yeah. I did a while ago. Um, okay, so pills for for helping your gut. I'm actually knowing that you have pills now. Mm-hmm. I will add that to my giant handful of pills that I take four times a day. Yeah, that's an awesome. easy, that's easy, easy one easy. to do. Yeah. Easy. Um, Okay, so there, there's that. And knowing that you have the Just Thrive spore-forming armor-plated bacteria from, <laughs> from outer space, space yeah. right? Um, that stuff I, I also do take. And I do take other probiotics as yeah. well because I believe in having diversity, right? But right. Like, I, I do think, like you said, as a, key, as a keystone species, that's yeah. a, a really good thing. Um, and so as you as you evolve your probiotic strategy like that, give me some probiotics that keep me really young, all right? I, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm okay. down with that. All fair right? enough, fair enough. Yeah. Right? 
And because I, I have to say, I, I don't want to just thrive. Right. <laughs> like, like I, I want to just like completely like like kick more ass than right. thriving. Yeah. So okay. make me some products. I'll do that. I would I would appreciate that. You want, a, ben, you want a Benjamin Button almost just uh, going backwards. It, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Love that. And you know to be to be really clear, just you know full disclosure. You know I also do a, a prebiotic and one that I've formulated. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're listening to this, you're going, oh God, what do I take? Look. Eat a ton of vegetables. Like, it's not that right. hard. We always mm-hmm. say that. Yeah, have some sushi every now and then. You cook in your cool, your white rice. Yeah. Like there's lots of food sources. And and so you can do this without having to buy anything from Just Thrive, without having to buy anything from Bulletproof. Yep. We just make it easier. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. That, yeah. That's right. the idea. Yeah. Right. And so I, I do think you guys have, have done a, a very meaningful job of, of being uh, on the on the cutting edge and using stuff that people haven't heard of and stuff that's backed by tons of research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, especially on our first interview, you really um, uh, taught me a few things I hadn't come across. And, and not a lot of people do that because like, I, I read stupid amounts. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and so it's it's hard to get the knowledge and it's also hard to start a company and, and do that stuff, Tina. And you know, you've, you guys are, are obviously partnering effectively and making good stuff. Thank you. Um, and you know, to the extent that you know, randomly someone at forty years is end is like, oh my god, that fixed my daughter's eczema. Like, yeah. Ah. So it's really so cool. Fantastic. As soon as we're yeah. done, we'll walk over there and see if she's out of brain training, and, and she can say hi. Yeah, so, that, that would be great. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the hardest part that, or the thing that people aren't realizing is the effect the microbiome has on virtually every aspect yeah. of our mm-hmm. overall health. I mean, from mental health issues, you know, people don't realize, yeah, ninety percent of our serotonin is produced in our gut. People aren't yeah. thinking they're having mood. It, you know, swings and all that, that that's actually a reflective of your gut health. And so, um, it's, it's been great to be able to, that you have such an awesome platform to let people know that. Uh, it, it's, it's definitely changed how I show up in the world. I like not yeah. being fat and inflamed and having pimples all the time and smelling <laughs> exactly. bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the dog is happier not being blamed. For yeah. The parts too. <laughs> we let him in the house sometime. <laughs> right. All right. On that note, the company is Just Thrive, and we talked about your probiotics, which are probably called Just Thrive Probiotics. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There you go. Right. I, I nailed that one. And then your ultimate IgG yep. is the stuff that feeds your gut mucosa, the bovine serum albumin yep. product. And go to justthrivehealth.com slash Dave. Use code Dave15. They save 15% just as a way of saying thank you for listening to the show. Uh, you guys make good stuff. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.